Welcome to episode 62 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan back to talk some more baseball or lack thereof with everybody. And we will have a guest today, exciting one. We've got former Yankee Dwight Gooden, obviously remembered for his no-hitter in 96 and was also obviously one of the most electric pitchers in the league in his prime. So definitely excited to talk with him. Um, Sean, that's about the extent of my baseball excitement right now is, uh, is talking to Dwight because it seems like the uh, owners just kind of strip away any potential excitement. We had we've, you know, in the last 24 hours, 24 plus hours, we've had Manfred and Tony Clark sit down in Arizona face to face and start making some headway on a potential season. Then the league proposes 60 games, two years of expanded playoffs, uh, full prorated salaries. Then the players counter with what seems like a reasonable 70 games and uh, and a playoff revenue split. And now then, of course, immediately after that proposal from the players, we start getting the the Heyman tweets that the uh, owners are saying that, you know, non-starter this is a step backwards blah 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 and now we're back to um just kind of waiting to see when mlb is going to implement this shortened schedule because it just seems like that the two sides can't agree on anything well i mean they they didn't even agree with what they decided in the meeting like we came out like there's a there's an agreement and you know we're all like texting each other hallelujah and then um yeah then, then there is no meeting um, there is no agreement, excuse me. So it's funny. I think John Boy tweeted out, like, couldn't somebody have just taken notes so we, we know what the hell actually happened in that? <laughs> I don't know. I think they're getting close. I mean, they're they're at the point now where it's getting very nasty, but I think that's because they're they're probably just trying to get squeeze the what they want out of each side. And um you know, it's it's interesting. 65 sounds like what it's going to be because that's going to be splitting the difference, right? So, it's, Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, but at just the way this has all been going. Or the, Could blow up at any second. Yeah. And so. and, to, and then you get um, some tweets that the owners were, you know, quote-unquote livid from this proposal or from feeling like they had an agreement after the meeting with Manfred and Clark and – and that that wasn't the case. So now they're apparently so livid that there's there's going to take some some time here and, and not going to send a counter right away because they're so angry. Definitely yeah. has nothing to do with the fact that they're just going to put this off as long as possible. So then the shortened season that they want seems like the only option because we're just going to get further and further into the summer. I'm sure well, that has nothing yeah. to do with it. That's what Trevor Bauer said is it's just like how long can Manfred stall because that's what he's trying to do is just stall, stall, stall. 
Yeah, and it's it's super frustrating. I'm honestly really getting sick of all this. That interested on on what you think. I mean, I, I would not to appear self centered, but I consider us two of the biggest Yankee fans, baseball fans that uh, certainly I know. So, and, and I'm honestly getting sick of it to the point where like it's. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to even like talk about this stuff and get invested in it just because it's so frustrating and I want baseball more than anybody, but this is uh starting to piss me off. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a couple things. Like one, I'll I'll say no matter what happens, when we get to when we get to baseball, I'm not going to care what had happened. I'm just going to be happy it's there. Like even when we were all upset last off season that the Yankees didn't spend enough money and blah, blah, blah. Once 2019 season started, I, I mean, sh- shit, I was in opening day. I like painted my car. Let's go Yankees and everything like that to go to open. like I, I was all in and I'll, I'm going to be all in as soon as as soon as they come back. Like. I'm a sucker for it, I guess, but it's just I love the game and I love the Yankees. So no matter what kind of BS they do now, I don't ever see it getting to the point where it's going to erode my fandom for the game or the, the team. With that being said, I definitely feel now while we have no baseball um, fatigue, like, I mean, honestly, I'm just, I'm sure you feel the same way too. Cause we don't text about it as much. I'm not even as excited to like podcast anymore. Cause I'm just like, you know, like, just come on, man, get your stuff together. You, you, you know, and it, it's, it's mostly on the owners. I, I mean, I, I think that that's very apparent, but it makes it harder to talk about when there's not that, you know, there's, there's not that beautiful game that's being played out in front of you because that's what distracts us from all the business crap is that, it's the greatest game in the whole freaking world. And when you don't have the game and you're just left with the business, it's pretty shitty. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I mean, to have the realization that your favorite game in the world is run by people who don't seem to want to play said game or at least play it as little as possible just because there's no prospect of having fans in the stands – you know, with exception to a team like the Royals, who who really seem to be, uh, you know, still in love with with what they do and committed to paying all their employees and their scouts and things like that, they've really been doing a great job. But other than that, it just—I mean—you have apparently you know six owners who said they don't even want to play baseball this season. And you know, how, how do you how do you get excited about that? How do you get if you're if if those names of those owners were to ever go public, like how would those fan bases deal with the fact that the people running their team don't want to play? How can they ever be confident that those owners would put in the effort it requires to put a winning team on the field or anything like that? Or, or, or have the feeling that the people running their favorite team see that team as anything but a means to just try to make a profit? Well, and, and that's the thing, too, and that I'm thinking about is just like, you know, whenever it's time for a new stadium to be built or or, or any sort of public funding for, for any of these teams, all of a sudden these teams become, you know, these public institutions, these, you know, uh, not pillar of community, but uh, like a gathering place, right? It's, it's, it's part of the community. It drives local business, blah, blah, blah. They act like, you know, it's sort of like a, a charity. Yeah. And it and leads all, them to get all these kind of tax breaks. And yeah. And, and then, and then 
um, when it's time to actually give back, you know, they have their little charity events and whatnot. But come on, like they're they're not looking out for the fans. They're looking out for their wallets right now. So they don't really care about um, anybody but but themselves. And, and I mean, it's very transparent, but I think people fall for it um, quite frequently. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. But it, I don't know. What are you gonna do? Like, give give the owners a how much do you love baseball test before you you buy a team? Maybe maybe they should, but that, that'll never happen. No, it, no, of like, course yeah. not. Like you said, it's frustrating with owners that really just don't want to have a season. Which apparently it's not the Mets. Shocker. Um, well, the Mets but, would love to have a season because there's going to be no baseball in June, which is when they free fall all the time. So there so you go. They saw that and they're like, no, we want a season. This is our chance. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it, it it's going to be no matter what. If they go like sixty games, seventy games, there's going to be a lot of weird stuff that happens. Yeah, I mean, think yeah, you you can burn your bullpen like crazy. Like, I don't know. I I actually think this might be advantage Yankees because, you know, they could be way more aggressive because they're not going to have to plan workloads out for, one hundred sixty two games. We'll yeah, it, it could be. It could. Be be an advantage for the Yankees for through the regular season and then you get to the playoffs and if you know you have a bunch of short series then it's really could be advantage anybody just depending on yeah who's playing well at that at that point it'll be nice it's, to have Mike yeah. Trout in the playoffs though probably gonna happen if they keep expanding it it's weird though like obviously I understand they want to expand it to make more money but by having a shorter regular season it it, it would be more intense if there were just the same number of playoff teams because it'd be like a mad dash to get in the playoffs. But now that there's more like expanded playoffs, it's like uh, a lot of teams are going to get in. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, that is definitely, you know, the universal DH, which is part of the proposal is obviously something I hope sticks. Um, Oh yeah. Ben Lindbergh, former podcast guest wrote a, a great piece. I don't think it was too long ago, but basically breaking down just how bad pitchers are at hitting nowadays, and it's just not something I'm interested in watching. So I love the fact that the DH would be would be universal, but the expanded playoffs is something that I really hope does not go past 2021. Just because, you know, I, I love I love the NHL playoffs, but I also love how MLB's playoffs are set up in that it is the best of the best and it's not more than half the teams in the league making it so hopefully that's not something that lasts but again if that's what brings baseball back then fine i mean yeah we have you have people like complaining like oh billionaires are fighting with millionaires just bring baseball back already and then they see the proposal to bring baseball back and like oh there's no not even a point like just cancel the season it's like god can you ever be satisfied i i you know just, just bring it back. I'll, I'll watch whatever. Even if they just had a had all best of five series, that was it. Just like a 32, <laughs> 30 team knockout tournament. I'd watch that. I mean, what the hell? It's funny though. Like you know, you bring up the NHL. I feel like baseball's the the sport where the the lesser team wins more often because if you get the right pitching matchups, or if you just get a hitter to go cold, um. Anything can happen. NBA, the better team usually wins. NFL, I know it's a one and done, but I mean, look at the Super Bowls. Like Brady or or Peyton 
or Roethlisberger, I think it was, was in the Super Bowl for like yeah. 14 straight year, however long it was. It's like, yeah, you might get some crazy team make it to the AFC or NFC championship game, but the same teams, the, the better quarterbacks were always there. NHL, you get the hot goalie thing where, you, you you know, you have a team run over. But like even the Kings, the year that they beat the Devils and going from that that eight seed, they were actually a really good team. Uh, the underlying metrics bore that out, but um, they just, you know, they didn't perform as well. So I, I think, you, you know, baseball is the, the most random sport. So playoffs will be interesting. And that's why, like, I try not to get worked up about early exits and whatnot anymore because it's, it's so random. I mean, think about it. If that DD ball that he hits off Cole goes four more feet. The Yankees could have been in the World Series last year. Like four feet was could have been the difference. Yeah. You know? So who knows anyway? So obviously you could tell like we're ready to watch baseball the second it comes back, despite what we've said about how we're kind of exhausted talking about it now. And it's hard to be excited about even the prospect of of baseball right now because you don't know what's what's going to happen. So I think we can agree that, you know, baseball, no matter what happens, like is going to have us watching. But if, mm-hmm. if we have if we have these feelings of fatigue and frustration right now, do you feel like the league should be concerned about you know all the other fans that are more casual about how they they follow the sport, or fans that are you know more um, you know, more quicker to just move on to something else? Because this certainly can't be a good look for for those fans when, especially at a time when MLB is trying to change a bunch of rules to try to keep those casual younger fans with you know not as much ties to the game in their past as as people like us or or older generations like like uh like you know our father or grandparents things like that did you see the deal that the mlb signed with tbs or whatever yeah turner sports a billion dollars i think the game's fine um i I mean look they canceled the the world series in 94 and uh they were they were back in business, you know. Not, not it didn't take the ninety eight home run chase. They were they were you know ninety six ninety seven. The tendency had come started to come back already. I think the game will be fine. Um, I think there's things that they can do to improve the game, and I'm I'm glad that they they think about that. Um, you know, obviously, probably somebody that doesn't hate baseball would be better to think about it rather than Manfred, rather than Manfred. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the long term health of the game will be fine. I just, I, I mean, look, the NBA is super exciting for some people. I, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not really into the NBA. I, I'd rather watch college basketball. But I think there's a lot of people that are still into baseball, right? Like, I understand there's people that don't get, like, the way that I don't get why people are so into the NBA. And maybe it's because we live in the tri state area and the Knicks suck. But well, I still love the NBA. Yeah, I, I know, but I'm sh- I'm sure there's people that think that look at me and say I don't get why he likes baseball. Baseball's boring. But I think there's a ton of people that love baseball. I mean, just you know, maybe it's because I surround myself with people who do. But I, I think the game is going to be fine, um, long term. Now, has it probably moved down to the third most popular sport? Yeah, absolutely. But the top three is still pretty far from anything below that, right? Like. Hockey, golf, MMA, none of that's going to pass baseball, I don't think, anytime soon. Um, no. And I, I, I think the game can, can do some tweaks to 
to enhance it. And I, and I also think, and th this doesn't get lost on me either, the new generation of players, you know, your Tim Andersons, your Aaron Judges, your Glaber Torreses, um, you know, the whole like sort of bat flip generation. I think that's really brought new young blood into the game. And, and new fans because they're having more fun. They look like they're having fun. Like even judge who does not showboat, he still, you could tell he has a good time playing baseball. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really fun to watch. Like you, you would never see like somebody doing like the thing like Tim Anderson did last year with the bat throw and everything or, or, you know, but it's, it's, it's fun to watch guys that are excited to play. And hopefully that, that excitement breeds new fans but we'll see i'm rambling <laughs> well I, I also think it'll be interesting to see how because like you said i i agree that that the game will be fine but i think it'll be interesting to see how the owners kind of highlight certain financial losses as an impact of all this as a way to probably spend less money in the coming years so it'll be interesting to see that those kind of uh, long-lasting effects of all this because if they're saying that baseball isn't profitable in general, imagine what they're going to say of how base how profitable baseball is after a pandemic shuts th shuts them down for four months. Well, yeah, that's all bullshit, you know. Yeah. But uh, nobody responded to my tweet asking if anybody uh, wants to just give me their team and I'll take on their debts. But yeah, whatever. I tried. I'm shocked that you didn't get any responses. Maybe maybe one of those six teams could have reached out. I know. If they don't want to play, I'll take over. Don't worry about it. Yeah, honestly, if there's six teams that don't want to play a season, why, why not just give temporary ownership to a, to a random fan and see how they do? If So, of the teams that you realistically think don't want to play, like the Yankees obviously want to play, which, one, which, which team do you think you would like to own the most? Of the ones that probably don't? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Pirates. obviously, the Pirates? Yeah. Why, just so you get the ballpark? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that roster is awful. I know, but oh, I've lived I there. I keep the trades they made, oh. I've lived there. It's such a nice place. It's one of my favorite ballparks I've ever been to. And, like, just from living there, like, I don't. they don't realize how – I don't even know if ownership realizes how passionate those people are out there about, about the Pirates. I mean, like, look at – Look at those two years where they made it to the wild card game, how crazy the city went. Like all you have to do is put together a, a, a good roster and people will people will come flooding to, to the stadium. People will come, right? <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, probably – I would think Tampa probably doesn't want to play because You're, they're yeah. not – <laughs> I'd love to own the Rays. Oh my god! No, I would too. First order of if, business if would be get, new if, stadium. If, not even new. Just move them to a different city. <laughs> move them to Montreal. Think about how awesome that would be. You'd have the, the 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 Expos back. The Blue Jays right there. A little rivalry in the AL East up in Canada. That'd be so much fun. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, think about all you could do with that roster. Throw a little money at them. But anyway. But uh, speaking of saving baseball and whatnot, what do you think of uh, Long Gone Summer? Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was it was like a highlight reel with a yeah, guitar exactly. track that was just super repetitive. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you 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 got Sosa and McGuire to sit down and talk to you for this documentary. Like, you could have asked some some deeper stuff to go beyond just like you know what it was like in the moment and just what it was like chasing each other and keeping an eye on the 
the home run totals and stuff like that. You know, obviously you have to touch on just how captivating that was because, like, we talked about last week when we were saying what we were looking forward to, and the documentary came up like that. I mean, that was the talk of our lives at the time. Waking up every morning to see who hit a home run and stuff like that. Like it, it that certainly was. You know, I mean, the sporting world was completely focused on that home run chase. And it was perfect for us who were just starting to really fall in love with baseball. But now you're looking at it from, you know, from 20, 20 plus years later and knowing everything that happened. Like, you have to ask some other questions. Maybe they maybe they said they wouldn't talk about that stuff. But I don't know. I feel like you could have gone a little further into, like, you know, how did it feel during that home run chase? Like, knowing what was, you know, like, knowing what you guys were, were doing and stuff like that. I don't know. It could have just been a little different than just like, you know, here's what happened. He hit, he hit, you know, they both hit a home run this day. They were this close, you know, after this many days, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I get what they were going for um, to sort of let you relive it and then talk about it afterwards. Like what hat, what is actually going on. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, I just, maybe because I'm cynical, but the, the story of what actually was going on is so intriguing and just like sort of how we were all willingly duped, like we all wanted to be fooled and, and we all should have known what was going on. And when I say we, I don't mean us as, you know, respectively 11 and nine year olds at the time, but, you know, um, yeah, the media and everything like that. Like, oh, I took Mark McGuire at his word that Andrew was just, you know, this. And it's like, OK, but like that's not really as as a member, as, as like a journalist, really, you're just going to take the person who's, you know, it's interesting. But. You know, one thing that struck me, and like I know, like you know, in the in the, the group chat, people were saying they felt bad for Sammy and everything. He's never he's never come clean. And I actually I work with a Chicago Cubs fan, and I said, you know, "Did you watch it? Like, how do you feel about it?" And he said that you know, until Sosa comes clean, he understands why Sosa is treated the way that he is. And he said that. You know, the thing about Sammy is it's not like Sammy just juiced. He also got caught with the cork bat. He yeah, left the game he early. He left the game. There's, like, there, there's other things he could apologize for, and he could just do like a vague apology, and he said, I'll be good with it. So I, I thought that was really interesting that – that. but I, I mean I don't know. Like look, I'm going to harp on this till the day, day I die. But David Ortiz has never apologized for anything, and he was on that, that list that Sammy Sosa was on. And uh, he's a god up in Boston. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I definitely could see the point of view of, of a Cubs fan like the the person you work with. I'm also in the camp that like he needs to at least be welcomed back and put into the. I think he should be like in the in the at least the Cubs Hall of Fame for for what he did. Um, so you know, people are definitely going to disagree on that. I really loved Mark Riggs' story on on Sammy Sosa when he got that random phone call from him after. Um, pleading his Hall of Fame case. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the most egregious part of Long Gone Summer, which was uh, noticed really quickly by fans, and to be honest, I I don't even know why you would include this stuff when it's so easily pointed out, but the the B-roll and the video of Wrigley Field. Yeah, that, that's And it's not like clearly from, from like 2015. I mean, you can see like... I can't. Schwarberger. Yeah, Schwarberger. I saw Chris that, yeah. Bryant. <laughs> like Chris Bryant was like, what five five something years old at that time. And they really, were, are, they really were manipulating service time. Yeah. They they had him for that long. 
Yeah, I, I can't believe like they could have watched that again and been like, "Oh, this this doesn't really make sense." Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, it was cool. It was cool to just like relive that that summer and that whole aspect of it because for us, a huge part of it was just the Yankees, you know, going on to becoming what we think is the the greatest team of all time. But there was also this completely other aspect of that summer for us that made watching baseball so much fun. So it was really cool to relive that. Just I don't know. When it comes to like thir- when you when it's the standard of thirty for thirties and how great those have have usually been, I was I was hoping for a little more. Yeah, I was too. I didn't get uh, didn't get that much heat from that documentary. I <laughs> I didn't feel. I I mean, I don't know. Like even look, it's painful as hell, but the the four nights in October is absolutely captivating. And I never watched it. It's it's really good. It's painful to watch. Well, I'm sure it is. It's really well done, and um, it's just a shame. We've seen so many good baseball documentaries. Look at the the fourteen back. Fourteen back was good. Um, Brothers in Exile is one of my favorite thirty for thirties ever with El Duque and, yeah. and Levon Hernandez. That was fantastic. Yeah, that that's a good one. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, I know it was tweeted about, but the the absolute best part was to me, was the look on Barry Bonds' face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, when McGuire hits the home run against the Giants, just sort of like, okay, um, let's let's do this. And, you know, that's, that's just the way, way it is. But, I mean, it was still like, look, honestly, what I remember about that year, if you ask me, if you mentioned 98, the first thing I think about is the 98 Yankees because that's what was more important to us. Um just seeing a team that was that freaking good. Like that was crazy that that got overshadowed by the home run chase, but the home run chase was everything. I remember yeah. the year before Tino had 28 at the break and I was like, all right, he's on pace for 50, you know, 56. He got a chance and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Griffey and McGuire both, uh, both got, both got up there. McGuire hit what? 58 in, uh, 97, 58. Yeah. And then coming back the next year, it was a huge deal. By the way, I have a Wheaties box with McGuire, Griffey, and Tino on the cover. That's I still awesome. have it. Um, and then, yeah, the next year, it was, uh, you know, Sosa comes out of nowhere hitting all those home runs in June. Which, by the way, he had a decent career leading up to that year. So I was kind of surprised yeah. that McGuire sort of said, I don't know who he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they in the same division. <laughs> Oh, uh, interesting. But I mean, I guess McGuire had just gotten there. But it's crazy how McGuire never really had much of a personality, and he still doesn't seem to. Yeah, he still is like, yeah, I did it because I had injury problems. And Sosa, who seems to love every minute of it, has really, um, you know, taken no accountability for for anything. It, it, it's just, it's kind of sad. Um, that that's the way it's gone. And um, I don't like in the moment, I remember definitely Sammy Sosa was the coolest of Bonds, uh, Sosa, and McGuire when they all went for their records. Like Sammy was the f- most fun guy. But looking back on it now, I, I probably would say, like, I look back in like awe and of, of Bonds just oh, because yeah, what he did. So it's in, but when it was going on, I was rooting the most against Bonds because, you know, he's just so arrogant. But it's interesting. I honestly didn't want anybody to break the record because the Yankee had a record. Like that's that's the truth. 
keep getting to 60, but yeah. let's leave Maris with the, with the record. And it's funny. Like I was saying, like, if you really wanted a good format of how to tell the story, they should just watch Billy Crystal 61. Cause that's an absolutely amazing movie. Yeah, great. Like let it be, let it be known the pain that these guys are going through or the controversy that these guys were going through or what they were like the demons they were battling with their, their roids and whatnot. But anyway, it's just kind of how I, how I thought about that. I was, I was let down. I was hoping for better. Yeah, me too. But it was something to watch with baseball, and you know, there's nothing else to watch with baseball, so here we are. That's right. Here we are. And we also are here with, with uh, a guest this week, so why don't we go ahead and, and play that. We got to talk to uh, Dr. K. That's right. Dwight Gooden. Might remember him from a memorable Yankee team. So we, uh, we talked to Dwight Gooden, and here he is after a quick break. Welcome back, everybody. We're joined now by a very special guest. I'm sure everyone remembers seeing him in pinstripes. It's Dwight Gooden, was three-time World Series champ, obviously had a bunch of memorable years with the Mets as well. Dwight, thanks so much for coming on and, and talking with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, of course. So uh, first things first, can you just tell me a little about um, what inspired you to start Gooden16.com? website now in partnership with tops a lot of cool items on there that that you have there and also tells you a lot about your life and your career so just what was the inspiration to get that website started i think it was a situation where my son has started you know the game brand you know several years ago it's one thing where we get t-shirts desks, and different things just to kind of have fun with the fans and sell some nice items for the youth as well as the non-baseball fans and then when um, Tops came out with the different cars, um, we figured we started, you know, eventbrand.com um, was just kind of have fun with it. Um, as you see, like, the, the website where it's um, bringing back the, the glory of 84. Um, and I thought it was great. And for me, it was kind of touching where when Tops first introduced the car, that I was one of the top guys along with Jeter, then that I had been retired for 20 years. So contacting a lot of artists and a lot of different things, we felt this would be a cool way, number one, but stay in contact with our fans who've been very supportive. Number two, it put my name like out there and just to have fun with it. I mean, obviously, you, you know, you, you, you do different things, you know, pops, you know, put stuff out. But for me, it was just, a, I thought it was a fun project, some fun for all ages, where you have, you know, the collectors that's been doing it for a while. But then also you have a lot of the youth who are getting into it now. And, you know, and it's just a fun thing for everybody. And I think with the artists, they're doing such a great job being creative of putting their touch on the cards. I thought it was a neat thing and um, a fun project for me and my family, my son, and just having fun with it. It was a great idea, and I appreciate all the fans who have taken part in it and shown a lot of interest. You mentioned the artwork, and there's a lot of cool designs, a lot of different flares put on put on the cards that are, are up on the website. Did, did you have any part in um, corroborating with the designs of these cards or just... Um, What's 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 your part in, in these cards uh, coming out and being sold? Well, we actually have one. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet. We're going to do it as a, as a surprise. We got one coming out with especially um, with the coronavirus going, and you know my name was my baseball nickname was Doc, even though my son is known as Doc Junior, but with Doc. So we kind of come up with something creative for the mask with with the kick on the baseball card and just add the mask to it. We figured that'd be a great touch and something and creative for everyone as well. So that was kind of like um, a lot of input on that one. I thought it was just kind of organic, but um, 
is co- collaborating with one artist or coming out with something different, the person that people can relate to, being that, you know, Dr. King, and then with everything going on, you figure everybody got to wear a mask at this time of the season and what's going on, you know, across the country. So they got to be able to get tied to something different, add the mask to the to picture on the cards. Gotcha. And then 1984, obviously the year you come up, uh, young kid, one of the most electric pitchers in the league almost right away. Is is there any is there any pitcher in the league today? Of course not right now with no baseball going on, but is there any you know, young electric arm that you find yourself watching a lot in, in today's game that kind of maybe not only just takes you back to yourself, but just someone who you really enjoy watching pitch right now? I think that's a great question. Um... I might be able to advise being that I'm, I'm a Met. Uh, I'm, I'm in New York, really, but I'm a Met at heart. And so I watch all the Met pictures, Syndergaard, Jerome, Stephen Matz. And when Matt Harvey was here, he was my guy. I love watching Matt Harvey. His prime. One guy that, when he first came up, I thought reminded well, he did remind me a lot of myself, was Steven Strasburg. When he first came up, I remember him facing the Pirates. I think it's right out 14 or 15 batters. I'm like, wow, this guy is probably going to shatter all my records. Unfortunately, he had some injuries, but he bounced back this year. It was good to see him, you know, come back in the playoffs in the World Series and, and do well and get the um, MVP in the World Series. So I would say Strasburg a little bit when he first came up. But uh, for his right now, young pitchers, I don't see anyone like that, only because of the age difference. You know, I was a teenager, and now they're not bringing guys up that young, especially not pitchers. They're bringing hitters up young, but pitchers at that age, 19 when I came up, I don't think you'll see that for a while. But um, most guys always say records are good to be broken. Records are to be broken, but I like my records to stay, to be honest with you. <laughs> you, you mentioned... Um, you... Uh, no, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go go ahead, please. No, I was going to say, I still love the 2-1 ball game. I still watch a good pitching matchup. I love great pitches. I think there's a lot of great pitches in baseball right now. Um, it's fun to watch. I just hope they get everything straightened out and get back to the beautiful game that we all love. You mentioned Strasburg, and the Nationals are a team that were you know, almost 20 games under 500 through 50 or 60 games last year and wound up winning the World Series. That, that sample size for the beginning of the season for them could almost be an entire season coming up because of how shortened this 2020 season is going to be because of the coronavirus and the disputes going on with players and ownership. Do you, do you think that whoever does win the World Series this year, that the legitimacy of it or the legitimacy of the season as a whole could be questioned, or is it just, you know, everyone's going to be on the same level playing field for one year, so whoever wins should be credited as if it were an actual 162-game season? Right, I think that's a great question. Um, speaking as a fan, which I am still a huge baseball fan, I want to see baseball, obviously, they play 50, 60 games. Um, and I think whoever wins the Royal Series should be credited as a champion because as you said, everybody's on the same playing field. Um, unfortunately, sometimes organizations are labeled getting off the slow stars. And like you mentioned, had they had that last year, the Nationals wouldn't have made it because of the slow stars they get up to. But um, everybody will be playing the same amount of games. So I think whoever wins the World Series this year, if there is baseball, they, you know you have to give them credit for winning the title. It would definitely be interesting with you know 60 games, 65 games, and then you have the uh, expanded playoffs. Be definitely different. Um, I would love to see it as a fan. Um, on the other side, just being speaking from a hypothetical point of view, if I was a player, it would be kind of tough, especially being a pitcher. When you're only playing two months, you're probably talking, I don't know, 
10 to 12 starts. That'll be kind of difficult with, um, even though you have a, another spring training, but it's not the same because even though I'm sure guys are working out now, there's nothing you can do to duplicate game situations. It would be like starting spring training all over again. I would just be afraid of injuries. And I hate to say that because I do want baseball, but speaking from the other side, I just hate to see these guys get injured for a short career and trying to, because they know it's just a short season and you're trying to get to the ultimate goal of winning the World Series. I just think it risks a lot of, you know, situations where people are putting themselves in danger with that. And so I kind of got mixed reactions. On one hand, as a fan, I want to see baseball, but if I still was playing or was involved with the organization, it'd be kind of tough because, especially from a pitching standpoint, of the fact that it could be injuries. And the players seem to be ready to get on the field, and they want to play as many games as possible. You know, tell us when and where is kind of the mantra of the players right now on social media, saying that they are ready to play. You, you played through. You were in the middle of your playing career when the strike in '94 happened. Do you think that this dispute between players and owners, especially with the new CBA looming next year, everyone's worried about a potential strike? Do you think that everything that's going on in the league right now? could have a negative impact on the sport as a whole in terms of, you know, casual fans? Just what did you see unfold after the strike in 94? And, and do you think that baseball might have similar negative effects on its game because of everything going on right now? Well, 94, um, it was a situation where, you know, trying to go take different odds and ends of what's going on. It was a lot about money, as it is now. Um, and a lot of stuff in 94 was negotiated behind closed doors. Some stuff was, obviously, but it was a situation where both sides, I think, were trying to do what's better, what they feel was better for the game, whether it was reappointed or not, and it ended up counseling the World Series. Um, but this year, I think it's different. This year, I like to see things worked out. And in, in my, just my opinion, I would think that with, with Tony, you know, the players rep, and then with the commissioner, Seem like a lot of the personal players would get involved. I like to see an arbitrator come in and work things out and let him decide. What me personally, I like to see if nothing worked out this weekend, especially you know today by five o'clock Monday, have an arbitrator come in and look at both sides and let the arbitrator decide only for this year. Make sure to get everything back to the same when you work things back out. Whenever I don't know what contracts are up at that time or what agreements are up at that time, but for this year, I will have an arbitrator come in to try to work with both sides and get it all worked out. Because this year, everybody, everybody's, you know, is in a loss this year. It's bad for everybody, not just baseball players and owners. But, I mean, you got even the people that are on the front line, they put their lives online every day. They're taking less money. Some are not getting paid. A lot of people are losing, losing jobs because of this. And they're trying to make everything safe for baseball players to get back out there and play. So I think everybody got to look at it that way and understand that this year, you know, it's just for this year. We all got to make sacrifices from the player standpoint. And not just because this year, but players that get back to understand that, that it's a privilege to wear a bigger uniform. Yes, you earn it through the draft and everything, but somebody puts you in that position to get to that point. It's a privilege. So I think this year, for players and owners, you got to look at it a little different. And that's the difference between 94 with the strike and this year with everything that's going on. It's about making sacrifices and doing what's best for the game of baseball and for everything that's going on just for this year, in my opinion. And shortly after the strike in 94 is when you had some of your most memorable seasons as a Yankee. Of course, in 1996, everybody remembers your no-hitter. Just, you know, looking back on, on that game at that point, is there any turning point or big play in that game where maybe you realized 
hey, this could be a special a special night for me? Or was there a moment where you already felt like you were on your way to a special night and maybe that came close to ending before you finally did record that final out and complete that no-hitter? I think um, that's a great point. You know, I think every time, look, at no-hitters, and especially my game, was I think the turn point was the first inning. I want Glenn Braggs to start the game. He's on first base. Alex Rodriguez is back second. I'm a thick pitch with a fastball coming. I mean, he had, a, he had a nice shot where Joe Williams made an unbelievable catch. I mean, he had his bike turned to the infield running and made it over the, over the field to catch. He doubled off going back to the first base. To me, that was a turning point because if you don't make that play, you're looking at one run in and a man on third with no else, and you got Ken Griffith Jr. and Edgar Martinez coming up the bat. I think he hits the knock that first inning opposed to ending up with a no hitter. Um, to me, that was a turning point of the whole game. Um, obviously, Chino made a good play on a ball that was hit. Well, I didn't cover where he had to dive to get the guy at first. But to me, in the first inning, the play that Gerald Williams made, unbelievable play. I don't think he gives enough credit for that play when they show all the highlights of the great plays. That play, to me, turned the game around and definitely turned my situation around. So I was able to be in a situation to pitch the hitter. And so much of your career is synonymous with New York because of your time with, with the Mets and the Yankees. So, you know, as a Yankee, was it special going back to Shea and pitching there one more time like because of the Subway Series format and you kind of got to go back to where your career began and where you rose to stardom and won your first World Series? Yes, that was, that was awesome. Um, I'll, I'll walk you through this if I can. Um, when... when the Mets figured they want to cut ties, which I, I completely understand. They want to cut ties, but with me, I wanted to continue my career with the Mets. Um, I wanted to make things right because I got suspended. I just want to make things right with the fans. I didn't want to leave the Mets on those terms. Um, the Mets wanted to cut ties, which I understood. Mr. Steinberg gave me an opportunity to continue my career in New York, which that's all I wanted. I wanted to stay in New York under any circumstance. So when I saw the Yankees in 95 during the offseason, pitching with the Yankees that time. And then, as you mentioned, I remember after the 97 season, I became a free agent. Steve Phillips was a general manager with the Mets. I called him and said, hey, I'd like to come into the Mets. And he said, um, unfortunately, our rotation is set now. We wish you all the best. I signed with Cleveland for two years, 98 and 99. I went there. Um, I was hurt a little bit the first year. The second year, I thought I pitched well. Um, once I became a free agent after 99, I called the Mets again. Steve Phillips, I'd like to come back. I learned about salary. I just want to come back. But unfortunately, God, we wish you all the best. You don't have the room right now. I signed with the Astros. I've had one start. I got traded to Tampa, my hometown team. I had eight starts. I got released. Um, sent home for about a month. Mr. Tyburn himself called me and said, Hey, Doc, what's going on? Do you still want to play? I said, Yes, I'll still have to play. I was living in Tampa at that time. I said, Okay, go work out with Billy Connors, the late Billy Connors. Um, he said, If it don't work out, you can work for me. So I went over to the complex in Tampa, worked out a little bit. I pitched two in the, in the, the Rick League games, did okay. The next morning, I remember going to the ballpark, and Billy Connor said, Doc, I need to see him in my office. I thought he was going to release me at that time because I really wasn't pitching that well. He said, we need a pitcher in New York. They have a day-night double hitter. The day game at Shea, the night game at Yankee Stadium. They want you to pitch the day game at Shea. I wasn't ready, but I couldn't say I wasn't ready. I said, perfect. That's it. So I'm probably going to get knocked out in the first couple of years. But my whole goal was always to get back to Shea Stadium that one last time, the way things happened in 94. So going back to New York, um, taking a bus from Yankee Stadium to Shea was pretty weird. Woman up in the visitor's bullpen with 
was definitely strange. And I really had nothing warming up. I couldn't get some curveball working. My location was off. But once I got on the mound at Shea Stadium, it felt like everything just came together. The fans was great. And everything was coming. I ended up pitching five days um, and getting the win. I stayed with the team the rest of the year, picked out the bullpen. And then we ended up beating the mess in the World Series. To me, that was a great way to end it because not necessarily that I was trying to get revenge back at the mess or anything like that, but I got my opportunity to go back to State Stadium, get the win, and then beat the Mets in the World Series. Even though I'm always a man at heart, I thought it was just a great way to end my career, and I ended up retiring at next spring training. Certainly a, a great story, and again, that's Dwight Gooden, one World Series with the Mets and Yankees. Everyone be sure to check out his website, gooden16.com. That's gooden16.com. Dwight, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, buddy. You guys keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Dwight Gooden. And, um, man, just, just talking to him. You know, like like I said earlier, you know, you get fatigued from all this stuff going on in baseball. But just talking to, you know, someone like Dwight Gooden, who we watched in our childhood, certainly makes you starved for baseball to return. So again, for fans like us, it's not going to take much, if anything, to to bring us back. Just talking to a former Yankee makes me ready to talk about baseball again. So hopefully, we can do that soon. Do you see any any uh, positive trends over the next week before we? talk on this podcast again or is it just going to be more back and forth Our, my positive trend is that we're getting close to the point where they have to play fewer games so <laughs> that's just my, yeah. my process of a, the thing is the longer we go the closer we get regardless so yeah that's that's the only positive trend yeah that's about all all the positive we can take away right now yeah but hopefully next week we'll bring something new like the positivity we thought we had just a couple days ago and that actually sticks we'll see we'll see what happens but until then everyone keep hanging in there and staying safe and we will uh we'll talk to everybody next week with hopefully some some good baseball news hopefully